Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. Hello, Tamarindo Podcast listeners. Welcome back to the show. What's up, y'all? So today we've got a conversation for you that is extremely timely, given the recent news of the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade. That's right. Today we have Cynthia Gutierrez, a reproductive justice organizer and doula based in the Bay Area. And we also have Betsy Aime Cardenas, a purpose-driven writer, producer, and entrepreneur with a background in civic engagement and reproductive justice. Yes, and together we are going to reflect on the state of reproductive justice, how we can do more to change narrative around abortion care, and we are also going to explore how to break generational cycles that can be harmful while we still get to celebrate generational resilience. But before we jump into this great chat that we've recorded before the devastating news surrounding Roe v. Wade, let's hear from Amanda Mato, Senior Director of Constituency Campaigns with Planned Parenthood, who will give us the lowdown on all of this. So let's hear from her now. Amanda, welcome to Tamarindo. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Thank you for jumping in. I know this is sort of like short notice, but we're so glad that you were able to join in because it's been wild, wild. So can you give us the lowdown? Like, what is the strategy now as we look at the impending doom (laughs) that seems to be coming from the from the Supreme Court? Tell us, what is the strategy right now? Yes. So first and foremost, it's important for everybody to know that the leak that happened on Monday back in early May was a leak. This was not a legal decision. We are still waiting for the legal outcome of the Supreme Court case. So when it comes to our strategy, I want everybody to know if you are seeking an abortion, you can still go to abortionfinder.org to find the closest provider to you. And this website is completely in Spanish as well. So please use that and share that with your loved one. Thank you so much. Abortionprovider.org. And then what can people listening, what could those of us that are very nervous about what possibly could happen or what could be coming down? And even regardless of what's happening at the Supreme Court, we know there's some hateful legislation across states. There's already basically essential abortion bans. So what can we do? What can all of us listening do? about this? There is so much you all can do. So another website to go to that has all this information is bandoff.org. On May 14th, we are going to be mobilizing across the entire country to make sure everybody knows that the majority of people in this country support access to abortion. We know that in the case, if Roe versus Wade is actually overturned, that nearly 26 states would be ready to ban abortion. 13 of those states would almost immediately have abortion bans in effect. And so when it comes to getting involved locally, if you turn out on May 14th and sign up through bansoff.org, we'll be able to send you super local information on what's going on in your own city and hometown on how you can get involved for the long term because this fight's not going to end. We're in it for a while. Thank you so, so much. We really appreciate you jumping in here. I do have one more question, and you can tell me if you feel comfortable with this one. But my my next question is, you know, there's a lot of 
people out there that maybe are not in the weeds the way that, that you are, the way that some of us that are really kind of connected to what happens in politics, that they like to say things like, well, why didn't the Democrats do anything about this already? Why don't we already have this codified in federal law? What are, you know, how do you respond to those sorts of, um, oh, maybe simplified perspectives on, on this sort of legislation, this sort of policy? Love that question. And for me, it goes back to my roots, right? Being Puerto Rican, oral history and hearing from one to the next, tia, tia, is so important. And the same thing comes to how our government works. So it was back in 1973 that the Supreme Court case, Roe versus Wade, you know, instituted the constitutional right to abortion. That at the same time means that all states are able to enact abortion bans and policies because that's up to the state level of government. So when it comes down to how are we in this moment, this has been a concerted effort of anti-choice politicians for decades. On top of that, so former President Trump appointed so many federal judges and at the federal, a federal judge basically is also like the key person that has also been able to greenlight a lot of these abortion bans, even state by state. And then on top of that, we have three Supreme Court justices that were appointed by former President Trump. And right now, the majority of our Supreme Court is hostile to reproductive health rights and justice. So when people ask how we got there, I got to bring the history and the stories that it goes way, way back to decades. And it's been a considered effort. Again, it's the same people that are blocking our rights to abortion are the same ones that are trying to pass anti-immigration you know, um, policy, the same ones that are trying to stop folks from saying gay and passing anti-trans legislation. It is the same politicians. And so I also want to make that clear to folks that it's not something new. And this fight has been happening for decades. Yep, that's exactly right. And it's precisely what we talked about in this great episode that we're going to shift to right now. We're going to dive into our chat with Cynthia and Betsy. Thank you so, so much, Amanda, for stopping by and giving us these great tips, this breakdown. And y'all follow those websites and get involved. So there you have it. That's the latest and our call to action. With that, let's dive into our chat with Cynthia Gutierrez and Betsy Aime. Hello, hello. Thank you. And welcome to Tamarindo. How are you doing, Betsy? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. And how are you, Cynthia? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing great. I feel so honored and grateful to be on here today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, both of you have amazing backgrounds. And specifically, I want to call out that you both have some background in reproductive justice in that space. And right now, this is a concern for, for many of our listeners. It's a concern for Anna Shayla and I to see the rollback of reproductive rights in a really, really draconian ways. I'm sure you all are familiar with the recent case in Texas where a woman, her name is Lisel Herrera, 26 years old. She was arrested for murder for, quote, a self-induced abortion. Fortunately, in that case, the DA dropped the charge, but she really should have never been arrested. And that's just one example of sort of the draconian things that are happening right now when we think about reproductive justice. So, Cynthia, I want to start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your work in this space and what concerns you the most as you think about the current state of affairs when it comes to reproductive justice? Thank you, Brenda. Um, so as a reproductive justice organizer and storyteller, I work towards normalizing the conversations around abortion justice, 
um, birth work, and just reproductive justice, health rights overall. Um, as a full spectrum doula, I'm available to provide emotional support and resources to pregnant and postpartum people. One of my roles as a program manager is that I work with two wraparound clinics that serve pregnant people in San Francisco, California. These clinics support um, our clients in receiving prenatal care and postpartum care. And some of the barriers that um, the clients that I serve that um, they are currently experiencing are around um, mental illness, experiencing homelessness, past or current incarceration, substance use disorder, and intimate partner violence. At the local level in the Bay Area, I'm most concerned about the lack of housing for pregnant people experiencing homelessness. Uh, it's the prices of rents are outrageous here, particularly in San Francisco. And we are just seeing more people experiencing homelessness, especially now in a pandemic. Um, I'm really concerned with the lack of understanding and compassion for substance use disorders. Um, and in my experience working with pregnant people who use substances or have a substance use disorder, wanting to find better ways that all of us can have more compassionate language and just build better support networks for them. Uh, Brenda, you mentioned earlier some of the things that are happening in Texas. At the national level, I'm really concerned about Texas Senate Bill Number Eight. It passed last summer, and it bans Texans across. Um, uh, it bans Texans to access abortions after six weeks, and uh, most people don't even know that they're pregnant before six weeks. So it's outrageous to think that um, there are, particularly this law exists. This is a law that allows private citizens to sue anyone who aids or abets people seeking abortions in Texas. So this means that anyone can sue someone that they think helps someone access an abortion, not even that they actually know that they have a suspicion or uh, that they think something could have occurred. We are just seeing these abortion bans across our country, like, for example, in Florida, um, Florida governor currently signed into law a 15-week abortion ban that goes into effect in July unless it's blocked in the courts. And the list goes on and on around Oklahoma, Ohio, like every state has some sort of abortion ban or restriction. Um, I really appreciated that you brought up um, what happened with um, Lizelle, because here in California, we had Adora Perez who experienced a stillbirth in 2017 um, and still remains in custody and is facing a murder charge in Kings County. Even though we have had politicians come out and say that she should not be incarcerated, she should not be criminalized for her stillbirth, yet she still remains in custody. And so ultimately all these bans, these restrictions, the criminalizations are just meant to continue to control pregnant people, their bodies and their lives. Yeah, you really, really painted the picture of, of what's going on across many, many states. And I also really appreciated that you brought up the intersectional issues, right, that the pregnant people face, including housing. There's so many of these issues. And Betsy, I know that you get to work on acro across many of these issues and the idea of intersectionality shows up in your work. And you also have this background with Plant Parenthood. So I'd love to hear from you. You know, what are you seeing or what are your concerns about this anti-choice narrative and these these things showing up in, in legislation the way that they, they uh, Cynthia just painted for us. 
Absolutely. So, you know, my work um, has focused on policy and advocacy and also thinking about the messaging and how we're talking to voters and potential voters, specifically Latino voters and women, how we're talking about these issues to them. And one of the things I want to point out um, is that six out of 10 Americans actually support uh abortion care or people having the right to abortion care. One of the things I always do when I'm explaining this to people is I say, you know, abortion is a sensitive issue. It's a private issue. And rather than think about would I have an abortion or would you, Brenda, have an abortion or anyone on the call here today? It's do I want my neighbor to go to jail? Do we want to see more cases like the one that happened in Texas with Lizelle, with this young woman? Do we want to see more cases like that? And do we want to live in that kind of a world where I think based on the language in the Texas law, like a neighbor could report you for attempting or thinking or, or, or mentioning that you wanted to seek abortion care. And I think that none of us want to live in a world where people's, uh, you know, right to medical care is infringed upon. And and so when I look at the laws around the country, I really feel that these laws reflect the views of a very small minority that has taken a hold of our electoral system and has taken a hold of our state governments. And so when I when I think about that, one of the things I always tell people is like, we need to think globally, but act locally. Look into our local governments. Who are the people running for city council? Who are the people running for school board? Because these are the people that are going to move up across, you know, Congress and across your state legislatures and governorships. If you look at how many Republicans actually hold um, governors, governor seats in this country, it's it's astonishingly high. So while we think of, of reproductive care and abortion rights and even birth control, because I mean, being realistic, this isn't just a battle against abortion. It's against having comprehensive sexual education in schools. We're seeing that with, um, you know, the anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ bills we're seeing also across the country. And even, you know, the push against teaching critical race theory, There, there is, this is part of a larger movement and I don't want to scare people, but we need to be aware of that, that these this is in this is part of a strategy. This is not an accident. And this is a national strategy that is happening at the political level. Yeah, 100 percent. So, so, Cynthia, what, what what do you um, what can you add when you think about what uh, Betsy shared, that this is really a very a vocal, small minority, but that is very strategic and is in here for the long haul to really take hold in a way that's not reflective of the values that most of us feel. You know, what do you say to that? Thank you, Betsy. I, don't, I think those are some excellent points. I tend to put my energy and focus on F and efforts to people who want to access abortions and particularly support abortion storytellers. I'm a Latina. I'm a first-generation Nicaraguan Salvadorian woman who's had an abortion. And I'm very unapologetic about that. I'm also an abortion storyteller with We Testify. We Testify is an organization dedicated to the leadership and representation of people who've had abortions and increasing the spectrum of abortion storytellers in the public. Um, and I think a way that we push back against this narrative, against these politicians, is to continue supporting people who have actually had abortions because they are the ones who have the lived experience who can share those experiences to influence media and policy. And one thing I also want to add is I think as Latina, Latinx, Latino folks who care about abortion justice, we really need to focus on how we can have these conversations within our family and community. 
Um, and the narrative conversations need to start at home. Um, as much as we can put our energy on these politicians, which I think is so important, I'm also curious about what are we doing in our homes, in our communities um, to have these conversations and shift those narratives as well. Yeah, very good point. I, I have not sought out abortion care, but I 100% would if I was in a situation where I needed to. And I'd like to speak about that. And I think um, storytelling is very important. Lifting up lived expertise is very important. One thing that I recently called out on Twitter that I'd like to see more of, because I know many men, cis straight men, that have benefited from abortion care. I'd like to see them step up. Uh, Betsy, what would you add to changing the narrative? I would add that Cynthia's point that you know, the, the political is personal, is that I think one way we change the narrative is that we elevate these stories. And one thing I want to point out is that the media often um, does this thing where they, there's like the good abortion because you needed it because the, you know, your life was at risk or, or the, you know, the fetus was at risk versus, you know, a person who made a personal choice. And, and I think that um, one thing I try to do in my work and when I talk about this or if I write about this or even in, in spaces like this is, is, you know, um, you know, the right to abortion care is the right to abortion care. And it's a, it's a medical and personal decision. And I, I'm someone who also has received abortion care once through a miscarriage and once because I didn't feel prepared to bring a baby into the world. And I like to be honest and upfront about that as well. And part of my honesty about this comes because I was lucky enough to grow up with a mother who was honest with me about she being someone who also um, needed abortion care at, at, you know, at a point in her life and really explaining to me what the decision-making was. But even in my own family, we, um, we battle this idea of maligning people for, for making the best choices for them and for their families. And so I think there's a lot of myth busting that um, has to happen, right? You know, one in five women, for example, have sought care at a clinic like Planned Parenthood for various reasons. And I think that sometimes we stigmatize. And I think this speaks to the, the same reason why, you know, we're still fighting to have comprehensive sex ed. You know, this country has a problem discussing issues of sexuality and maybe it's our puritanical roots and, and a lot of, there's a lot that goes into that. And then I think as Latinos, there's another layer for us to unpack there in terms of what are the own, what are our own cultural barriers that we bring to the table in our own families when it comes to talking about um, some of these issues. So I think if I were to, if, if we are privileged enough that we can be open about our experiences, I would like to encourage people to do so and to have those conversations with their family as well, um, because that storytelling is powerful. Um, you know, there's uh, Lucy Flores, when she was um, a, legislature, a legislator in the state of Nevada, she, um, at that point, very famously, openly talked about seeking abortion care when she was a teenager. And that was something that was very impactful coming from someone in her position to actually talk about it. Because I think that if we keep thinking that this is something that doesn't happen to us, that this is something that happens to other people, not in my family, not my not my friend, not my sisters, you know, not not my mom in my case. I think that it's easy for us to disregard, you know, the loss of abortion care, the loss of, of reproductive health care clinics and reproductive health care across the country isn't an issue that's going to affect us. But in reality, it will affect all of us or somebody that we love at some point. Yes. And so 
we're going to pivot slightly. Uh, you know, since some leaders in this country want to impose parenting on everyone, we also wanted to talk a little bit about parenting. Many of our listeners are parents or are thinking about it, but as we know, parenting is a huge responsibility. And on the show, we talk a lot about healing, and part of that also requires us to recognize where the trauma or pain we need healing comes from. And many of us carry trauma from our parents and our grandparents. Trauma gets passed on from generation to generation until somebody does the work to break the cycle. And we really admire both of you for how you've actively worked and are working to end cycles, whether it be through your public speaking work or even how you speak about parenting. So we wanted to start off and, and ask you, as parents, how have each of you thought about breaking cycles? And we'll start with you, Cynthia. How does the topic of breaking cycles show up in your work? I love this topic. I became pregnant during the first year of the pandemic in 2020, and my baby just turned one years old. Um, and there's Aww. a tremendous amount of healing, learning, and unlearning that I've had to do to be the best possible parent for my son. I like to preface this by saying that I grew up in an immigrant household that consisted of a single mother and my maternal grandparents. They migrated from Nicaragua during the late 1980s to San Francisco in a time of violent political turmoil in their home country. They did the best that they could considering the unhealed trauma that they were experiencing in a new country uh, with a whole new life to experience. And my mom gave birth to me at 21 years old soon after arriving to the US. I say all this because I recall a lot of my youth being told I was too angry, too dramatic or too emotional. I was often told I needed to calm down my emotions. However, I was never given guidance on how to like regulate those emotions. I was just instructed to stop feeling them so loudly and so boldly. I imagine having a wider range of emotions was uncomfortable for my family to witness and they were unable to hold space for it. My partner and I are breaking the cycles by encouraging our son, even at one years old, to express all the emotions that are present for him. We never tell him to stop crying or make comments like boys don't cry, even though my family has made those comments to him already. Um, and we're just really present and patient as he navigates his emotions and tries to express his needs. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing, Cynthia. Um, and what about for you, Betsy? What does breaking cycles mean to you? So this is a big, to big topic for me. Um, I have a son who's eight years old and I'm also uh, a step parent um, to a, a teen, um, an amazing teen. And one of the things that's important to me is to, um, I think I had a lot of mental health struggles growing up and you know, to echo what Cynthia said, it was my family, I'm also first generation American, first generation immigrant, uh, daughter of immigrants. And my family was often lacking the language to understand what was happening to me. And even when I got older and learned their terminology, it was difficult for them to fully understand. And I think that I had to get over the guilt of my life isn't as hard as their life was in certain ways, but I have my own set of challenges. And so I am open with my son about things that I'm in therapy, that I have a diagnosis of, of depression and anxiety. And I try to be very open with him. And I think to Cynthia's point, I think the emotional, social emotional intelligence is something that's very important. And it's something that wasn't necessarily a part of, of my upbringing. Um, 
again, to no fault of my parents, but it's something that I try to be very intentional about. And my son is also autistic. So one of the things that I also try to do when I have conversations with people in my family or even online is also, you know, there's a very, um, there's a lot of barriers and a lot of stigmas attached to any kind of diagnosis with, with a lot of Latinos. And especially when we talk about something like autism, um, and I know April is actually Autism Awareness Month, although this might probably will air later, but uh, it's something that I also try to talk to people about. And um, my son is eight now, so he's aware of his diagnosis. And I want that to be something that that the information empowers him and he feels like he can navigate the world expressing his needs. And um, I, I'm hoping to do work so that we're not just talking about autism awareness, um, but we're also talking about the fact that many people are neurodivergent, they're ADHD, um, they have sensory needs, and that's a conversation that I really want to continue to elevate and bring to the Latino community, because I think in the past, some of these diagnoses would have lived in the in the shadows or it would have been something that we don't talk about. And I actually had a conversation with my grandmother um, recently, and she told me, no lo acepto, like she doesn't accept my son being autistic. And I said, well, grandma, it's not really something for you to accept or not accept. It just, it just is. And, you know, I think, uh, Cynthia brought this up, but we have opportunities all the time with our own family to, to push back and explain or give an explanation. And so I said, you know, autism means this and this, and I had a conversation with her and she, I think, felt better about it at the end. And I'm hoping that she will continue to spread that message to other members of the family who might feel like my son's diagnosis is a punishment from God or something that we shouldn't discuss. Yes, I love that. I think that part of breaking these cycles is being willing to have these tough conversations with our family and knowing that the outcome might not be the one we want, but that it's worth it because it's more important. The most important thing that we can do is to break these cycles. So I, I, I really want to um, just honor the work that you're both doing. So beyond what you shared already, are there some tips, other tangible tips that in terms of what we can do collectively to help break whatever cycles we, we are part of? Anything that you haven't shared? Um, and I'll start uh, with Cynthia again. Yeah, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One thing that my fam, my immediate family, my partner and I have been talking about is, is the concept of consent, um, the consent to take our baby's picture and post it online. Like we need to be able to give permission to have family members do that. Um, he is now in the stage of being a toddler. And so my family has this fascination with wanting to hold him or hug him or just be close to him. And, and we, have tried to explain in English and in Espanol that you cannot force this toddler to give you a hug or a kiss just because you want that. And that is so unfamiliar to my family. And it often makes me seem um, cold hearted just because I'm trying to put boundaries and, and trying to like un, um, kind of break down this like concept of consent. Another thing that I was thinking about is just like creating spaces with like, for me, mujeres and just folks in general that I can be really honest about my healing. Um, I suffered through postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety this first year. And just to be able to have those spaces to just whether it's virtual, whether it's on the phone, whether it's safely in person to just talk about things and process things and have platicas 
Um, I think it's also having those kind of spaces where we also uplift our joys and really celebrate how we're healing. Um, because I think as much as I can like list off all the ways that I have generational trauma, I also know that I have generational resilience and I also have um, qualities that I'm passing down to my son and, and generations to come. And so really wanting to like hold all of that at once um, and, and trying to find ways to like just make these spaces possible. I love that. And I love that you called out how while we have generational trauma, there's a lot of generational teachings and joy that we get to pass on. And it's important that we don't forget that, too. Um, So what I heard is creating safe and healing spaces, um, boundaries and consent as being some some ways that might help folks um, break break cycles. I love that. Thank you. And what about you, Betsy? What would you add? Um, I was thinking about this last night. And one of the things that I think about is this idea that children should be seen and not heard, which is very much uh, cultural. And I, I think of it as like, you know, the way we talk about decolonizing our food, I talk about decolonizing our parenting as well, and eliminating some of these, you know, master servant or master slave dynamics that I think have inevitably permeated a lot of the parenting, um, you know, this thing about don't talk back or don't have opinions or don't have your own thoughts. And I try to be mindful of that and be mindful of when that is showing up. And someone that I like to, you know, I recommend to the listeners to follow is um, Latinx Parenting. And they yes. talk a lot about, you know, ending chancla culture yes. and, and really thinking a lot about some of these these topics, specifically as they relate to the nuances of of Latinx culture. Um, and then my last tip is, you know, having I've been parenting for a while now is don't be afraid to make it your own. I think to Cynthia's point, there's beautiful elements of our culture um, and our sense of community. And then there's also elements of some of the new science and studies on parenting and child rearing. So don't be afraid to make it your own. And then I think one of the things that parenting has done for me is it helped me, um, be able to assert myself in that way with my own family. And then this is a a different kind of a tip, but one tip that I always give people is that, you know, I don't force parenting on anyone. And one of the ways that we can do that is I see so much discomfort in people who don't have children. And I see a lot of discomfort around being asked, oh, when are you going to have kids? Or when are you going to have one more kid? And I think that's something that the entire, the whole collective we can do is not, pressure people or find other topics of conversation, right? Because our children are also learning from watching us and watching the conversations that we have, and they're learning what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and what our expectations are of them. So if I'm always saying, well, you know, when are you going to have kids? And when are you going to have another kid? You know, my child is also getting that message. Well, this is something I have to do because I think that thinking about reproductive justice, it refers to our ability and desire to have kids if we want them or not have kids. So I think either way, I think that it's important for us to celebrate all kinds of families. We can start saying, oh, well, you know, you know, so-and-so has has two mommies and so-and-so has a daddy and a grandma. And that family deserves to be celebrated just as much as, you know, the nuclear, you know, heteronormative family. I love that. Thank you, Betsy. I mean, I think what 
one of the things I heard was, was just really like mindfulness, really being mindful, like recognizing the harmful dynamics that have been passed down. For example, the master-slave relationship that a lot of us grew up with. I remember actually my mom having to push back against her family because my mom would treat me like a human, you know, like when I would ask questions and she had to push back. And it's again, going back to, in order to sometimes break cycles, sometimes we have to make our family upset and that's okay. Um, I love that. Don't be afraid to make it your own. Like you don't just because we're working on breaking cycles and, and harmful parts of, of trauma that's being passed down. It doesn't mean that we get to lose beautiful parts of our culture and what's been passed down as well. Um, and I love the don't force parenting and I'm a huge fan of, of Latinx parenting as well. And, and I, I hope to get to be a parent and I've really been enjoying that account as well. Um, beautiful. Well, I'm really loving these conversations. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, y'all, we want to remind you that you can use the offer code Tamarindo at Sholobooks.com, the Latina-owned online bookstore dedicated to decolonizing your bookshelf. We love to read. We know you love to read. And now you can do it while supporting Latina small businesses with that code at Sholobooks.com. Right now, you can pre-order Erica Sanchez's new memoir, Crying in the Bathroom. Erica is the author of I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. And once again, the offer code is TAMARINDO, T-A-M-A-R-I-N-D-O. Y'all know how to spell that. All caps at checkout to save 10% off at Sholo Books, spelled X-O-L-O Books. We are excited to bring back our Zoom book club, which we did a couple of times during the pandemic times. I guess we're still in the pandemic times, but we are doing a Zoom book club with Erica Sanchez herself. We are so, so excited. This is a free online event happening July 21st at 12 p.m. Pacific time. So come spend your lunch break with us and dive into this book, Crying in the Bathroom. And once again, please pre-order that book at sholobooks.com. Use the offer code Tamarindo to save 10% off. And we can't wait to Zoom you later. Okay, uh, we're back with Cynthia and Betsy. It's been such a treat to talk to all of you, both of you. It's just such such great, insightful tips. And now we can have a little fun, but also it can be serious. There's actually no rules here. <laughs> so we love to ask all of our guests our rapid fire questions. And I'm going to start with, I'm going to start with the matraca, which is where we get to celebrate. It could be anything, literally anything, something big, something small. So Cynthia, what is, what is getting your shout out? What is getting your matraca? It could be anything in the world. I'm celebrating Angela Garbs. I'm currently reading her book called Like a Mother, a Feminist Journey Through Science and the Culture of Pregnancy. She has a new book coming out called Essential Labor, and she shares her experience through researching and learning about her pregnant body, birth, the placenta, breastfeeding, etc. Um, it makes me think that like, and really affirm that BIPOC parents need to have literature and spaces where we can see that pregnancy and parenting can be hard. It can be lonely and challenging and joyful. Uh, we need to be reminded that we aren't alone in our parenting experiences. Excellent. Excellent. And Betsy, what gets your matraca? Big, small, what are you celebrating? Um, I'm celebrating um, National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. They're a national organization that works on reproductive justice issues 
Um, so they're on the front lines on the on the issues happening in Texas and all these laws happening around the country. Um, so check out their work. They're fantastic and they're doing great work. Um, and then locally, I want to shout out uh, NOAA's Without You. They're an organization that started doing work around the pandemic, um, making sure that people who were working in the service industry had enough food to eat. Um, and they're continuing that work even after the pandemic. And so if you're in LA or if you just want to support a really good group, check them out. It's called No Us Without You. I love the name, No Us Without You, 100%. Um, and then I'll, I'll stay with you, uh, Betsy. What goes in la basura? What are you done with? What are you canceling? What goes in la basura? Oh, man. I think I want to cancel Elon Musk buying Twitter. Um, I think mostly because I probably want to cancel all billionaires, but he is in the headlines a lot. And I, I'm concerned about the ecosystem of social media. And as someone who works in social media and works on all things digital as well, I, um, I'm actually trying to restrict my own personal social media usage. Um, because I do worry sometimes about the impact it's having on all of us and our and our brains and our attention span. Yeah, definitely. So right now, are you? What's your verdict? Are you going to stay on Twitter? As of now, yes. I'm waiting to find out more. Yeah, I'm, I gotta stay in there. I me gusta ser chismosa, and that's where I do it. <laughs> and that's where they get us, right? That's where they get us, right? I mean, I think I might be if they bring you know who back, I might be out. Oh, oh, I know. Oh my gosh, that's uh, that's the one thing that I'm really, really concerned about. Um, so, and now for you, Cynthia, what what are you canceling? What goes in la basura for you? I mean, I stay throwing all abortion bans and like anything that affects our reproductive health policies in La Basura, like that for me just can stay there permanently. I really do want to take this moment to uplift um, one of the abortion funds in California, Access Reproductive Justice. Um, I'm so proud to be on their board. And we have been supporting folks coming in from neighboring states to get abortions in California and really trying to um, just be a safe haven uh, as much as we can be while uplifting um, just the horrible stuff that's happening nationwide. Yeah. And pop quiz for both of you. Who who belongs in the basura more? The leaders of Texas, the governor of Texas or the governor of Florida? Because we have a hard time every week on here. Keep them both <laughs> in the basura, no? I mean, I, the, seriously, though. I'd rather yeah. have the basura overflowing with them both than keep them. Yeah, they could be roomies. They could be roomies. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. And finally, we always like to ask, what's helping you stay grounded? What is giving you calma? And let's start with Betsy. Um, Something that's giving me calma is um, my son has occupational therapy and he uses this thing called TheraPutty. And it's this gummy material that you can do hand exercises with. And I tend to have a lot of anxious, nervous energy when I'm on calls and I'm on Zoom calls, especially, which I'm on all day long. So it's called TheraPuddy and it's a resistive hand exercise material. Um, You can show, I can, I'm showing you, but the viewers won't be able to see it, but you essentially, it kind of gives me something to do and fidget with my hands. And also if I'm getting the, the urge, the ansia to get on my phone or pick up my phone for no apparent reason, I just kind of grab the TheraPuddy and it's been helping me. That is so great. That is so great. I forgot my phone um, yesterday for two hours. You have no idea how many times I reached for it. It was it was like 
Wow. <laughs> I needed I needed my therapy. I needed my therapy. I'm in <laughs> awe of that. I want some. You can <laughs> use you can also use you can also use Play-Doh. Yeah. Um this therapy is a little more firm, so I kind of like that cuz I'm like ah. But um yeah, it's been really helpful to have some kind of fidget toy for your for my hands. Thank you. We will definitely look into that. Um, and how about you, Cynthia? What is giving you calma? What is keeping you grounded right now? So I'm currently in a year-long mindfulness meditation. I'm an apprentice teacher at the East Bay Meditation Center. So wow. having a daily meditation practice, and I write a daily gratitude list every day. Actually, since the beginning of 2022, I write three things that I'm grateful for every single day. Um, and it's honestly been revolutionary for my mental health and like overall well-being. Yeah, I love it. I'm right there with you. Okay, so to close out, we want to ask you, is there, if there's any last burning thought that you want to share with us? And if not, just where can people find out about your work? How can they get in touch with you? And uh, we'll start with Cynthia. You know, some of my final thoughts are that um, there is a place for everyone in the reproductive justice movement, whether you have kids, whether you don't, whether you've had an abortion or you haven't, these are issues that affect us all. And I want to be, when I say all inclusive of all people, queer, trans, I don't see abortion just solely being a woman's issue. Um, and there's a lane for all of us. There's a way for all of us to get involved. If this is a um, movement, if there's an issue that you're super passionate about, like Betsy was saying, everything from sex ed to birth control to birth to doula care. I mean, there's a place for everyone and everyone's invited. I invited y'all so y'all can be a part of this. Um, and if you want to follow me, you can follow me on all social media platforms at Sin, C-Y-N-A-D-R-I-A-N-A, Sin Adriana. And I just encourage folks to go to my website, CynthiaAGutierrez.com to learn more about my work and be in touch. Thank you. And that is such an important reminder. I appreciate that, Cynthia. And how about you, Betsy? One thing I wanted to remind uh, parents, uh, particularly mothers, because it seems we have a harder issue with this, is that you need to continue to put yourself first, even as a parent, even as a caretaker, because especially in a pandemic slash sort of post-pandemic world, all of us parents are not, we're experiencing a lot of burnout and we need to continue to be aware of how we can take care of ourselves in whatever way possible that goes beyond, you know, I got a many petty or I took a shower. Um, just really thinking about what works best for you. And I know I love that. Um, Anna Sheila and Brenda, you always talk about that and incorporate that into your work. Um, and then if you want to learn more about me, you can follow me online at Betsy Amy, Aime with two E's. And then um, I also have a business, bornandjunecreative.com and my personal website, BetsyAime.com. And that's it. Thank you so, so much. And yeah, I got to give a shout out to Born in June. Their work is phenomenal. And, and thank you, Cynthia. It's so great to be able to, to meet you in this way and to introduce you to our listeners. Thank you so much for both of you for making the time to join us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And thank you for everything that you do and, and for always bringing us these really insightful guests and comments. We appreciate you. you. We appreciate y'all. The podcast yes. we all go to. This is so fun. Thank you so much.
That was such a powerful conversation with Cynthia and Betsy. I love everything they had to say. So now we are going to close this episode out with our favorite section, our rapid fire questions. So Anna, Sheila, why don't you start us off? What gets your matraca? All right. So my matraca, I want to give my matraca to shedding identities that are no longer serving you. Ooh, tell us so, more. Yeah, like thinking about what identities have you been attached to that have been holding you back? And it's something that I've been thinking um, a lot about for, for some time. And for example, for me, um, like the identity of like being a woman and what that meant, like that's been something that I've been exploring a lot because I think that the, the, the identity that I understood as being a woman definitely was holding me back. So I've been exploring like, you know, how do I actually feel like would I identify more with, um, you know, like being non-binary or is it really that just like I ingrained this idea of what it meant to be a woman that I really rejected. And it's more me just reflecting on like, what does a woman being a woman mean and shedding that identity. So that's like a, a one way, but another way that I've been thinking about this is like, for example, an identity that I grew up with from a very small age was like being smart. You know, I started getting grades, good grades, like very young. And then that was just like an identity that was, I was attached to, you know, I was smart. I was smart. I was smart. And I realized that there was a certain point that that identity was not helpful to me anymore. And in fact, it was like stopping me from doing things where I might not be perceived as smart. And so that's an identity. Like I, at this point, I don't care if people think or think I'm smart and it's cool if you think that, but I don't really care anymore. Like I'd rather be thoughtful, kind real, genuine before someone thinks I'm smart. And I think there's also like a level of elite, elitism sometimes with people, how people use that. So yeah, that's, I wanted to share that. What do yeah, you think? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's great. This is, this, uh, this makes me such a dick for what I'm thinking. <laughs> it makes me think, first of all, my matracas to you for doing the heavy work of um, reflecting on, on the, on identities. Cause I think that's really, really heavy, especially if you're considering maybe what what fits what feels more comfortable for you in terms of gender? I think that's really heavy work, and I and I matraka to you for, for doing that and doing a lot of that inner work. But then my second my second reaction, the one that I'm telling you makes me feel like a jerk. It makes me think of um, a while back there was this one coworker. Um, she she was just not nice. She was not nice. And so when we did like a little retreat, we all had to say nice things about each other. All we say is, "What are your? She's smart. She's smart." <laughs> <laughs> so I totally get it that the the, the, val the values of being kind and thoughtful are maybe more important than being smart. <laughs> well, at, at, at least to me, right? And like, and just because part of it is knowing the way that it was holding me back, even in like deciding to join you on this podcast, Brenda. You know, I went to like a academically elite school in, in in quotations, and I remember worrying about being on this podcast with you and my my quote unquote smart friends listening and not thinking I was smart. And so just noticing how many times that's gotten in the way and not let me be my real me. I'd rather just be real. And todo lo demás, like, you know. Yeah, well but the real you is smart. So that's that makes it easy. <laughs> All right. Well and my matraca goes to you. So there you go. So now what's your basura? Um okay so my basura is a little contentious. So um I wanna put and I'll have to explain it. Self care in la basura. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. No, some people be, be um, doing it wrong. So yes, well, I'm, well, I get it. Follow so, us. So, so let take me, us through let, this yes, journey. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I feel like with the word phrase self-care has gotten to the point where it's just like one more thing that we're adding to the list of things that we have to do. So like now it very much fits into like this consumerism culture. Like there's a whole industry 
around self-care, right? And and what I've been thinking about is like when we think about it as like one more thing, um, where where really it's like what we want to be doing is like embodying like having care. And now I want to say care of self just because like, I, I feel like sometimes we, we get to this point where phrases just lose their power. Um, and I feel like we're getting there with self-care. And it's like care of self should just be something that is fully in, in, ingrained in you that you're work that, that is a part of you, not something that you're making time for. Um, does that, does that, does that make sense? Yep. Totally. Yep. Makes total sense. Uh-huh. It's gotta be a lifestyle. And you gotta fold it into your, your, your way of being. Just what's, yeah. Your way of being. And, and yes, but, and it's not, not easy. And we're in a system that doesn't make it easy. So I think it's, it, we, right. Well, we can celebrate how valuable it is to put ourselves first and to do the things that, that make us feel this way. While at the same time recognizing that we're 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 under a system where right. it just feels like an additional right. task, and that's what we don't want it to be. Exactly, like we're working within a system that makes self care just be another thing that we have to make time for, and that looks like bubble baths and all this other stuff that isn't really. And and I and I love um our friend Christina. Um, I forget. You how to, thank you, thank you so much. She and she inspired me to do a little bit more reflection on this because she was sharing how when you're in really dark moments of depression, anxiety, sadness, grief, whatever it is, you you really are. Your whole day is thinking about taking care of yourself. It's not a luxury. It's like you're trying to get through the next hour, and that means prioritizing yourself every single minute. <laughs> but anyway, so that's that's what I want to put in the best way of the way that we've been using self care. Definitely. Hard work. And you, Brenda, you have anything to put in La Basura this week? Yeah, I mean, I've been speaking of like uh, feeling like self-care is a burden <laughs> and a task. I've been really busy this week that I've had to a couple of times um, not show up for my workout class that I sign up for. And so that really, really stinks. In fact, on Monday, the reason why I had to not show up for my workout class is because I forgot that I scheduled a virtual one-on-one um, -on -one personal training session. I was like, dang it. So I did my personal training via Zoom. This is my first time doing it via Zoom. And it worked out okay, but it just, it's so funny because the money that I earned for that it paid for the the fee that I had to incur for missing my gym class. So, uh. <laughs> so feeling feeling the burden of got too much going on. So, I feel that. Um, tell us your calma, Ana Sheila. My calma, um, no new calmas, just the same things. Really, just working on um, actively using affirmations, actively checking in with myself when I catch myself going in. Um, it's the unhelpful patterns or loops, but I feel really proud of myself. I feel like I'm in a much better place than I was um, even a few weeks ago or, or a month ago, even though I'm like literally jug juggling like five different things and trying to take care of myself and have a social life. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's been paying off staying busy and really prioritizing care of self in how I go about my day and, and the boundaries that I set. And when I just like, let myself not have guilt around making decisions that feel best for me, honestly. No yeah, more shame. Good for you. <laughs> Getting yeah, rid of shame. That's awesome. How about you? Anything that, that's giving you calma or, or any reflections yeah, on that? The thing that's sticking out for me is that I am drinking less. And it's not like I drink a whole lot, but usually, like, if I do anything social, there's always at least the one drink. So this week we went to go see Marcela Arguello, Woman Crush Wednesday, because we love her comedy. And it was a late show. It was at, like, a 10 o'clock show. We went with some friends. We didn't drink at dinner. We didn't drink at the, the um, 
show at the venue. It was a super late night. You know, we got home like past midnight, which is very late for us on a Wednesday because, you know, you you know us, we wake up real early. And um, and we didn't drink. And I got to say, it felt amazing to, to feel to not be even a little bit hungover the next day. So that's my karma. Oh, I love that. Beautiful. Yes. All right, y'all. I hope you all like this conversation. And I hope that you are donating to abortion providers. I hope that you are paying close attention to this fight. And I hope that you don't lose hope because we we really have to change things. We really have to turn it around. All right. With that, ponte un suéter. Take care, y'all. Un abrazo. Besos. Bye. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Our producers are Mitzi Hernandez and Augusto Martinez of Sonoro Media. Our theme song is by Jeff Ricards. If you want to support our work, please rate and review Tamarindo Podcast on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI FPEI 220099. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.